Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Welcome to PhD Student Reads episode 12, and I can tell you now, this will be the best one. Twelfth times the charm, primarily because it's not just me here by myself. I mean, I'm here by myself in my flat in Aberdeen, but I have a Google Meets meeting at the same time. And on the other side of that is Rodrigo Cocteen. Say hello. Hello, how's it going? I'm very well. I came up with two monikers, neither of which I've said, because I must admit, I'm a tad disappointed in my lack of imagine, uh, imagination here. It's the Canadian comic fan, um, or the Peruvian panel reader. Oh, P, I like that P one. P was a lot harder to come up with a, <laughs> something to start with, but yeah, well, they're out there now. Yeah, they're out there. I, I, I feel like I... I'm more attuned to the Peruvian one, but I'm down with either one, whichever you want to call me. I'm okay with. I I like getting new nicknames every now and then. Well, uh, I'll come. I'll see if I can come up with something better than either of those <laughs> because maybe I'll try and ditch the alliteration. I think that was holding me back. Although it does feel very comic book to it have does. the alliteration. Yeah, much more Marvel, I'd say. Peter Parker. Yes. Yeah. Reed yeah. Yeah. Etc. Daredevil. Matt oh, Murdock. Yeah. Exactly. Daredevil. There's alliteration everywhere there. Yeah. <laughs> well, as this were 12 episodes in, that's 12 episodes of me droning away. So one would hope that the three people that listen are aware of my comic book history. Enlighten them about who you are, what you read, what your tastes are like. Yeah, sure. Um, as you may have guessed by both those nicknames that were mentioned, I am Peruvian born, Canadian uh, by citizenship. I guess I've, I live in Canada. Um, I grew up kind of loving comic books through my dad. He was also a big Marvel fan. He did read most of his stuff in Spanish, so every now and then he'd be like, oh yeah, this character's name is like Mole, which doesn't really translate to anything, so it's like that that was always a little bit weird. But he did kind of, I guess, um, help me grow that love of comic books. And when I moved to Canada when I was 17 to study in university, and I kind of uh, had control of my own funds even though they were really money from my family um one of the things that i like spending money on was going every wednesday to the comic book store and kind of catching up with this like rich history of comic books that i had missed all this time growing up in peru and just because of familiarity i kind of really started with marvel comics and kind of kept on reading that um since then obviously i've ventured out into other you know DC, Image, some other minor kind of uh, comic book publishers. And so, big fan of comic books in general. Uh, I love a superhero comic. I also love a comic that has nothing to do with superheroes. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. Do they, because I, like, I've been on holiday, you know, like, do they sort of modify the books in any way beyond the language? Because I know, like, sometimes when you watch, like, a, you know, an American film, say, in France or whatever, they just slap subtitled French voiceover on it. You're like, hmm, I can't really see that voice coming out of that person. Yeah. I, I mean, yes and no, I guess, because a lot of the comic book is already set in stone, right? Because you're, all you're really doing is going on the comic bubble and translating some of the stuff here and there. 
but they collect it differently and sometimes not in the most logical way. Sometimes you get volumes that just, I don't know, it's like very haphazardly. They've just put an issue together, so it doesn't make logical sense. But um, yeah, since then, I've mostly been reading like North American published comic books, so my, my brain is there now. But like when I was a kid, sometimes I would be confused. I'd be like, you know, they'd introduce characters that were not seen in the previous issues of the collection, and you just had to roll with it and continue. Well, before, as I can say, I may have some of those issues with the book I've read this month. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of the books I've read this month, oh, yeah. spoilers, but I mean, I'm reading a book from the 90s. I mean, I could say, if you haven't read it, tough but i mean i've only just read it so i don't know <laughs> i mean to be fair <laughs> not much actually happened but yeah i guess that's the thing so i guess we'll start with me i am the phd student um and i have read x-men age of apocalypse the complete epic volume one it was originally published on the 30th of march 2005 by marvel comics it collects quite the collection it's a thick book Blink 1 to 4 from 2001, X-Men Chronicles 1 and 2 from 95, Tales from the Age of Apocalypse by the Light from 1996, and Tales from the Age of Apocalypse Sinister Bloodlines from 1997. So my first comment is, if they released in that order, this must have made even less sense. Because, so this volume is put together in chronological order, but even then... I mean, some of these things are years apart. Why is there like four issues of Blink from 2001 attached to this? When we get to them, they make, they're literally no addition whatsoever to the plot here. I guess they were like, oh, we can sell more things if we put the Age of Apocalypse tag on the end. Yeah. It's a big book with a big creative team. So he's... <laughs> Bear with me as I lit, have an absolutely enormous list here. So, for writers, we've got Howard Mackey, John Francis Moore, Brian K. Vaughan, Scott Lovedell, Ralph Macchio, which I then had to Google because I thought the guy that was in The Karate Kid <laughs> was named Ralph Macchio, and he is, but that's not him. This is a different guy. Correct. Uh, we've got actually, Terry Kavanagh and Judd Winnick. That's funny that you had to do that, because when I, I guess, talk about what I read this week, there is, I guess, a bit of a Hollywood connection there, too. Because so. I thought it was like, nah, he doesn't seem like the sort of person <laughs> that would write a comic book in the 90s. That's like when The Karate Kid was made. He's busy doing that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's not him at all. He's an editor now. I think he's like in his 80s. That's what Wikipedia... Karate Kid or the writer? No, no, Ralph Macchio. The Karate okay. Kid guy is busy being in Cobra Kai on, on Netflix. Oh, that's true. He's still so he's, the Karate Kid. Yeah, exactly. Not a kid, I guess. No, karate adult. <laughs> For pencilers, we have Terry Dodson, Steve Epting, Nick Napo... Oh. Napolitano, I'm going with that. Joe Bennett, Ian Churchill, Roger Cruz, Alan Davis and Trevor McCarthy. Inkers, Klaus Janssen, Al Milgram, Joe Pimentel, Scott Hanna, Al Vey, Steve Moncuse, Bob Weak. Bud LaRosa, Wellington Diaz, Mark Farmer, Robin Riggs, Tyson McAdoo, Rodney Ramos, Rick Ketchum, and Norm Rapmund. Everybody. Yeah. I'm surprised my name's not on this list. <laughs> Colorists. There's less, we, start, we start to... Inkers, that was the peak of numbers here. Uh -huh. Colorists, um, Matt Ware, Kevin Tinsley, Gloria Vasquez, Mike Thomas... Tom Vincent and Liquid Exclamation Mark, which I think is a group of people, just because so. it says 
Well, I think it just suggests it's a group win. Because they're the people that do the blink issues. And then letterers. Richard Starkings and Comic Craft, which I presume Comic Craft is also a group of people. And I guess Richard Starkings Correct. did all the stuff in the 90s? Because otherwise, he was, inc- well, even if he did all do all the stuff in the 90s, incredibly busy. Right, so... <laughs> I thought that this was a 616 story that would involve Apocalypse... I was wrong straight out the gate. Yeah. With Almost Charles every Xavier is it's... dead. And Magneto <laughs> yeah. leads the X-Men. Because <sighs> I would say it's not a 616 story. And it's not really a story. Like, the volume that you're reading is not really a straightforward story, right? Absolutely. Like, I guess that's why there's 800 creators. Because yes. it's not, like, one story. Apocalypse is in it on one panel. That is a complaint I have later <laughs> because I feel like if he was in it a bit more, it might explain everybody's motives a bit better. So, I first thought, I said this earlier to you before the, the started recording, I thought this was then a book with just loads of different realities, each of which involved Apocalypse in some way. I was wrong. It is one big old story... <laughs> Admittedly, yeah. if I'd read the blurb, I would not have thought this because it just says, well, that it's Magneto and his X-Men. But it does explain why in the first issue, X-Men Chronicles here now, the dawn of the apocalypse, that why it looks like, I don't know, something drawn in the, made in the 80s. Um, <laughs> I do like that the red tint that the... Uh, the X-Men have on all their costumes. It's very uh, Magneto-themed. Yeah. Um, they live on top of a mountain rather than in a school. Because why not? So this issue basically revolves around Rogue showing up at the X-Men base, dropped off by Mystique, who then just gives her up immediately. Just... After, like, two panels, she looks very sad, and then she's like, you're better off here, I'm going, goodbye. (laughs) And then, so the team is made up of Pietro and Wanda, Scarlet Witch and uh, Quicksilver, and then just a bunch of just random people. We've got Jean Grey, Iceman. Who else? I didn't write it down, because I thought, oh, it'll be on the first page, that'll be easy to find. Colossus is here. And then Wolverine shows up. And he's just called Weapon X. And I have some Correct. thoughts about Wolverine, but they occur later when other things happen. But then Apocalypse arrives on this planet and he goes to some military base, which after a bit of Googling, is the same military base Magneto attacked way back in X-Men number one. So mm-hmm. that's a good callback, I suppose. And these, yeah. the horsemen of Apocalypse are here to just, get some data or something. They're there, I don't know. But the team is made up of War, Death, Kandra, Gideon and Sabretooth. And my first thought was, why did only two of them get horsemen names? And then it's sort of like, well, Sabretooth seems to be some sort of subcontractor that's just sort of there because he is hired hired by Apocalypse for some reason. He's just there. I guess so he could fight... Wolverine later on yeah. because I'm pretty sure that the horseman of the apocalypse he just kills people Sabretooth here 
they could have got anyone to do that. Yeah. But they show up. I mean, I will I will say, without wanting to spoil too much for you, that Sabretooth does a lot more in Age of Apocalypse, and then that's not the only um, iteration of Horseman that you will no. see. Well, Death shows up. You've got at least two different Deaths, and both of them die. So clearly, that's not the Horseman you want to be. <laughs> and whatever happened to War, yeah. who says, I think, one thing in this issue, who knows? The other ones, nah, whatever's to them, they're not in it again. At least not in this volume. Yeah. Uh, Weapon X and Sabretooth have a fight and uh, Weapon X severs Sabretooth's spine. So you know that in this universe, people aren't playing around. This isn't the X-Men that you know. And then that's the end of that. Magneto shows up, basically kills this Gideon guy that wants to... I think they're after nuclear bombs. I think that's what there is. And then Magneto just takes him out. Yeah. And then Apocalypse shows up in his one appearance in this entire volume. He's on the edge of a ramp of his big spaceship, and then Magneto blows it up, and that's the end of that. The end. Hooray. Oh, but then we go back to the mountain base. Scott is dead, killed by some guy called Nemesis that gets no introduction whatsoever. And for a while, I thought, what was the point of that? But clearly... Because I wrote down, why didn't you take Scarlet Witch with you? She's clearly one of the more powerful X-Men. And then I just wrote... Oh, someone had to die. <laughs> yeah, it's very unfortunate, but some of these um, older comics, like, they're very dated in the way that they treat women. Like, I, I, I have also something on that when I'm chatting about my stuff, but it's like some, they make some odd choices, because like you're saying, Scarlet Witch is such a powerful character, why not take her instead like, of leaving her at Iceman. home to die later? I know Iceman is technically <laughs> an Omega-level mutant, but he's no Scarlet yeah. Witch. Absolutely. Rogue is there to witness the uh, death of Scarlet Witch. So she then joins the X-Men. And that's the end of that. And then we get Tales from the Age of Apocalypse starring Factor X. Now, I wrote... It's a bullet point I wrote further down, but I'm bringing it up now. What is it with these names of issues? I do not understand. Because you look at it, and it says X-Men Chronicles here now, the dawn of the apocalypse. Right? So that's the name of the issue but then you open it and then it's got a totally different name it's like mm-hmm. well what's it called because on the on the back it's well X-Men Chronicles 1 and 2 and I just especially for this um, this one because then it's like oh it's Age of Apocalypse Sinister Bloodlines or whatever well then why show me an issue cover that doesn't say that that yeah. didn't help with my Oh, these are just a collection of alternate realities. Yeah, theory that I had. It's uh, the the choices that they make in in the nineties are uh, all over the place. So can't help you explain that one. <laughs> well, this is definitely a more nineties looking book, as it stars Scott Summers and Alex Summers, and boy, do they look different. <laughs> For some reason, Cyclops only fires a, his laser beams out of one eye because. Why not? But that's okay, because his long, flowing locks that he has now covers up his other eye. So this... There's not... So I, all my notes are written from the point of view that I thought this was a different reality. So I was like, oh, cool. Right. Evil Ed, evil X-Men led by Mr. Sinister in a world where Apocalypse wins. Oh, that's a more interesting twist than just Magneto leads the X-Men. Then there's a lot of comments about how Cyclops looks but I really I've decided I'm not against it 
it's fine. <laughs> First, it's, you like the long hair. I'm more concerned. I just the long hair is fine. It's the fact he fires a laser out of one eye that I can't really get behind because sometimes you see yeah. behind the hair and it's like an eye patch. So does he not have an eye there? I don't know. That's because I believe he does. Ah. I'm not sure. Though. Well, that would yeah. explain it then. It's been a while since I read it. Yeah. So we then find that Mr. Sinister has been keeping their dad, Corsair, locked up. And he escapes and finds his sons very quickly. And Scott immediately accepts it that this is his dad, whereas Alex does not. But then later on, Alex accepts it and Scott does not. And then they neither of them do. And then at the end, Scott accepts that he's his dad. There's a lot of flip-flop in here. <laughs> and then yeah. they have a fight. Of course they do. That's how, you know, if you meet another superhero you haven't met before, you have to fight them. Whatever. And during that, have to. they mention that the Summers brothers are immune to each other's powers. And this made no sense to me, because if someone fired a laser at me, how could I be immune to it? Yeah. I think I, I, I agree with you on the general concept of how weird it is. I don't think this is an exclusive quality to like Age of Apocalypse, Summer's Brothers. And actually, I think at some point they they try to do this a lot. Like, I don't know if they tackle it in the volume that you've been reading, but there's um, a whole concept about uh, brother teams in Age of Apocalypse. Like, I, I think that was just a, a big concept for the X-Men writers at the time. Mm. It's just... I was like, cool, all right, fair enough. He could have just not hit him with his laser beam. That would have been yeah, another perfectly acceptable solution. <laughs> then Misty Knight shows up for no reason other than to make me go, oh, it's Misty Knight, cool. <laughs> have you read House of, X, House of M? No, I have not. I know of the it, plot. Misty Knight, also, but... Misty Knight also has a moment where she's like, huh, how, uh, Misty Knight. And then, never seen again. My my biggest knowledge about Misty Knight <laughs> comes, unfortunately, from that Luke Cage Netflix show where she's in that. Ah, right, yeah. Arguably the best part of that show because yeah, not Luke Cage, that's for sure. sure. Love Misty. <laughs> then I thought there were zombies in it because I, it looked, they certainly looked like zombies, but then you go a few panels later and they look totally different. And it's not the zombies, it's the brood, which if you don't know who the brood are... They're basically some space parasites. And then things just go off the rails because it's like, ah, oh, Chris Summers came, he went to space and was kidnapped by aliens. And then they, the Shi'ar got infected by the brood and then I was infected by the brood and now I'm back here because I want to see my children. And it's like, uh, all right. But there is a cool panel where Chris Summers is half and half. And I was like, ah. I like this. But then he, well, then Scott kills him and that's the end. And it's a miserable ending <laughs> because the brothers fall out. Scott is back with Mr. Sinister. But this time he has doubts. And that's just, that's the end. Mr. Sinister just stood there. They've got, a, they're, per, they're burning his body. Just, yeah, cheerful. A cheerful start to the Age of Apocalypse. Wanda dies. Corsair is dead. Who's next? Who knows? Then the awful naming continues with Tale of the Age of Apocalypse by the Light, 
which doesn't make any sense. I've read that. I don't get it. What light? The light of the X-Men? I don't know. They go to the moon? The light of the moon? Well, the X-Men are there to free... Um, I can't even remember. That politician guy from a prison in an Aztec temple. What? Yeah, As why? Well. Why is there a prison there? In <laughs> A lot of my questions here just involve why are these decisions being made? Just... Yeah. It's funny because uh, the concept of Ocam's Razor, like how the simplest explanation is the one to go by, is like the opposite of what they do specifically in comic books, specifically with the X-Men, specifically in the 90s. Like, And it's just right now, like what you're reading is going to be a lot of that where it's just questioning some of these choices. So Magneto is there fighting Shakriel, the Absorbing Man, and some guy, I do not know who it is, called Diablo, who looks like some sort of green beetle-looking chap with a knife that he made out of nothing. And supposedly, he practices the forgotten art of alchemy. How that means he can make things out of nothing with his hands, I don't know. That's not... Because alchemy is sort of like fake chemistry. But, whatever, it worked for them. Yeah. Then, they have an underground base. They go, they win, they free the guy, then they go to their underground base. And then we get to see that Sabretooth is still alive... Like, that's nice. I just presumed he was dead after the the beginning of the the first one. But then oh, he's got a healing factor. Then I have questions about healing factors later, so I don't know. But he's still there. And he's a big fan of Blink. For some reason. They free freed her and now they're sort of in love. I don't know. And they have a plan where Apocalypse has been wounded by the X-Men, which we don't see. But he now lives on the moon in the Inhumans old city and a big spaceship. So like, let's go to the moon. That's absolutely fine. That makes perfect sense. So they use Blink's powers after some convincing by Morph. Now, I know it's the 90s and Morph is in the X-Men cartoon, but why is he in this so much? He's pretty much in every issue. It's like, great. Are you here for comic relief? Because you're not that funny. If anything, you're, I agree with Sabretooth's opinion yeah. of you. I guess in the night everyone loved Morph, and he looks weird. And he's kind of... He's kind of like this one character that ends up... Like, I don't I don't think it's specifically the version that you're reading, but because of, I guess, the success of Morph, he ends up being a lot other comic yeah, books, like Exile. He shows and so up, on, and he's a so rabbit. A talking times. rabbit. And then, I'd arguably say, he looks better like that, because then he has this weird... <laughs> sort of white alien face just for the rest of it. It's like, hmm. Then we find out that Magneto have got some sort of romance going on. And I thought that that was a bit inappropriate. (laughs) Primarily because he's supposed to be her teacher and that's not allowed. (laughs) But, yeah, no. Then I thought, oh, what about Gambit? But we'll get to that later because... Poor, poor Gambit. Oh, my, my favourite. Well, anyway, they go to the moon, and who's there? It's the new death. It's the inhuman. I had to Google it. Maximus Boltigan. I don't know who that is, but according to the Wikipedia entry, he's just incredibly intelligent. I believe... But he's death now. I think that's uh, Black Bolt's uh, brother. Yeah, Bolt would make... That would make sense. Well, he's there, <laughs> and he has 
taken over his family. So I do quite like we get these alternate takes on the Inhumans, even if they all do look like they were made in the 90s and are awful looking. So we've got Black Bolt that opens his mouth really wide, but has exactly the same powers. But arguably seemingly a bit weaker, because I thought if Black Bolt even whispered that, like, buildings would fall over. But now he has to scream and it yeah. just knocks Sabretooth on his back. And then my favourite of these was Medusa, who's gone from being a white woman with ginger hair to some sort of robot with green tendrils coming out of the back of her. That. Well, then the X-Men lose. They get taken hostage by death. And then Scott's there. And Blink had escaped. But you don't see this. She says that Morph changed into her, allowing her to escape. But if you actually look at it, that's impossible. Because Morph gets like lasered and is just on the floor. And she stood in the open. But, okay, fine. So, she somehow sneaks into Death's base. Scott's there, doesn't kill her, because he's he's still having these doubts. And it turns out that Death, to usurp Apocalypse... Again, this would be another good tie for Apocalypse to actually show up. Just even a picture or something. Because we just get Death's point of view of what's going on. We don't see this battle with Apocalypse where he was wounded. We don't we don't see Apocalypse again and it's just hmm. Well, Scott then lasers death, he dies. Then there's a big there's like a 5 second fight where they free Sunfire from this thing because he's there as well and they all escape the end. Because <laughs> these all seem to I mean they're quite thick the issue. They're bigger than the normal 22 pages, but they all seem to wrap up in about 5 panels. It's just like lots of talking, and then it's like, oh, and then there was a big fight at the end. And that's this is when I started having even more issue with these in titles, because then we've got X-Men Chronicles after Xavier, the Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> and then the actual issue is something about Magneto and Wolverine having a fight. And this is where I had questions. Does Wolverine, well, sorry, right. Weapon X, not have a healing factor anymore? Because he lost his hand and it didn't grow back. He just has like some sort of metal stump. And it's like, okay, so yeah. are you a, like a normal person in terms of vulnerability now? Well, that's, I don't know. I, I think, um, I think you're right. I don't want to spoil too much, but they, they do kind of get into it a little bit with, uh, with well, he reminded me of when in the justice league that when Aquaman lost his hand and had a hook, yeah, remind, remind me of that. Hook. Yeah. Yes, I mean... He had a water hook, too, at you know, one point. Aquaman, you've got to really yeah. embrace the aqua part. Yeah. <laughs> this is the issue where I thought the 90s designs are really kicking in. All of the X-Men look rough. All of them. Yeah. Gambit comes off the most fine. He looks sort of like Gambit, but with body proportions that are a bit strange. But if we've sort of got Storm that looks a bit like Halle Berry in the uh, day. Uh, what was it? Days of Future Past movie with the short hair, but worse. Yeah. Just quick, so it doesn't look too bad. We've got awful Colossus with this bandana on. Just... Yeah, that's a look. So then we find out that Apocalypse has a son called called Holocaust. 
and he's one of the he's one of the horsemen. And then we just find out that this guy, Holocaust, he's actually Nemesis from the first issue, and now looks like he's made out of flames, and has to wear some sort of suit for something Magneto did to him, and he's very angry. But looking at the panel, I thought the guy next to him was Apocalypse's son because he looks like Apocalypse with a beard. But no, this is Wolverine. Why is this guy called that? Because I understand, oh, it's a different reality. Let's change things up a bit. But, like, 6.1 Weapon X is in it. Why didn't they give this guy a different name? Because none of the other X-Men have got different names. But he seems to have the power to, like, make people angry and strong, I guess. We also find out that Storm and Quicksilver are dating, and there's lots of workplay couples going on here, which is only bound to go wrong, Yeah. which it does, because Gambit has been getting it on with Rogue, and she he then pours his heart out to her, and she says no. <laughs> Because she is in love with Magneto, and Magneto has been yeah. doing some experiments to make sure Rogue can touch people. And Gambit thought that he was doing it for him. No. So then Gambit leaps out of a tree Damn. and attacks, attacks Magneto. But then Wolverine shows up. This is apocalypse-looking Wolverine, not Weapon X. I feel like I need to make the distinction now. So this is. <laughs> Age of Apocalypse Wolverine shows up at the mountain base and there's a big fight but that lasts about two panels and then Gambit is there again. We get Rogue choosing Magneto over Gambit when they both get trapped under some bricks mm-hmm. and then Gambit decides he touches Wolverine who somehow got like rocks in his belt or something and they explode and then he dies, I guess, because he doesn't seem to go anywhere. So I presume he it was if it was vaporized or something. And then I thought Gambit's powers. I thought this for a while, and I realised they'd never do it because he's a member of the X Men. But can Gambit put his powers into people? Like, can he make people explode? I think he cannot. Like, I think at some point they say that it's like inanimate objects that he. Mm. is able to, I guess, charge with kinetic energy, as I think what he's, he does. Um, that being said, like I, whenever a writer wants to have a, an X-Men do something different, I think they find a way around whatever rules were established beforehand. So it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if perhaps in this uh, alternate universe he can well, do that. I think in the regular universe... I'm disappointed. Universe, I feel like that would be a good... Get some sort of Marvel Max, bring that back. A Gambit series where he's just... Like grabbing people and just making them explode, <laughs> just just exploding people. And that's the end oh, of that. Not... Gambit leaves because he is all uh, love sick now and needs to be by himself. But that's okay because Rogue and Magneto are happy. So whatever sucks to be you, Gambit. And then yeah. it becomes quite clear that Magneto not a very good leader of the X Men. He no. The reason that Wolverine and Jean Grey left at the start was because Jean was trapped in these like prison cells with Mr. Sinister and Magneto didn't go and save him. And although Jean has forgiven him, I don't really understand why that I'm more on Wolverine's side without knowing <laughs> what happened. I, they seem like a pretty functional team. They went to the moon and defeated death. 
the horseman death, and that was all fine, but they couldn't go to wherever it is these pens are and free one of their own teammates. Mm-hmm. Magneto makes some questionable decisions later on, but before we get there, we get two issues which I thought meant... Well, fro- this is the, d- the divide where I thought everything after this is utterly redundant and I didn't understand why it was in this book. Half of it, I think, might make more sense in the future, but then the other half of this second half, I just I didn't understand why. So first we get X-Man number minus one, which is a prequel to, to Mr. Sinister has made Nathan Gray a child made out of the DNA of Jean Grey and Scott Summers. And I have no idea what powers are. I think he just has all the powers because at first I thought he could time travel because he appears, he turns the room they're in back into a school. Then later on, it's more like their projections, like they don't move because him and Mrs. Sister then go to like these pits, the prisons, but they don't actually move. They're more like ghosts. But then in the next issue, he can fly and he has telekinetic powers, and he can read minds, uh, he can sort of like reflect bullets, he can stop water. I, he has all. I can understand why he is called X Man. He has all the powers. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, his telekinesis that he just uses in inventive ways, but it's a lot of I guess like Jean Grey on acid. Type Simply powers. no no laser powers though from the uh, Summers side of the family. Even though, even though no. yeah, this sister makes a comment going, "Well, you've got your Y chromosome from the Summers, so we'll call you, we'll call you Nathan." <laughs> okay, Scott would have made more sense, but all right, <laughs> fine. The only thing I did, yeah, I guess that's a, like a reference to Cable, who is like in, in the meta analysis of this story, it wouldn't make sense for you to name someone over a son that's not even part of this universe. Yeah, like. He only knows three summers, at least from what I've gathered so far. Chris, Alex, <laughs> and Scott. But he's like, nah, none of yeah. those names. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the only thing I did quite like is it calms things down a bit. Like, after all of that, of just lots of angry shouting and then some fights and then more angry shouting. This is a nice... Because nothing really happens here. He wakes the kid up. The kid sort of wanders about for a bit, asks some questions, and then... Mr. Sinister puts the kid back to sleep. The end. But I did have one question. Why do people live want this? I understand Apocalypse came and killed all the weak. But actual Earth, even it seems for the elite, is pretty awful. It seems awful for everyone that lives here. Like the actual planet that they live on. Why would anyone want this? Why are they not all against Apocalypse now? Why would Apocalypse want to live here? It's awful. Yeah. It's not as if he, like, kept a bit, say, of New York or whatever. That is nice. Everything seems to be just rubble. There's sort of a bit where they go to Angel's Club back in the the Factor X issue. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. It's not a nice-looking club by the looks of it. And no one seems that happy there. But I guess that's the best you can do. So then we get another X-Man, X-Man 96. And then, is he now in Earth 616 
like main Marvel continuity here, or is he just in a, another different one? Because well, they say that he's crossed realities. I just presumed that he was in because they're like, oh, it's the Age of Heroes or whatever. It says, oh, is this just mm-hmm. normal Marvel Earth? And then I was like, oh, can he? Does he have the power to cross realities? But it's like, no, some magic crystal or something was used. Yeah. By some guy called Sugar Man. And then I had questions about how this Sugar Man character, which is basically Modoc, if he had arms and legs, what's his relation to Apocalypse? Because it seems he wants to go there, release this plague, kill everybody, and then come back to this reality and then release an even worse plague. But then in Blink number three, which we'll get to in a minute, it, it's sort of just that Sugar Man runs these pens which the people go to so he's actually apocalypse's lackey but that i didn't think was i thought this guy like came from the age of apocalypse universe but wasn't keen on it which is why he then lived here but mm-hmm. i don't know but boy that is an awful yeah. looking creature and I don't understand. I understand that either because nobody else looks like that in Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> but so then, so Sugar Man wants to return to the Age of Apocalypse and uses some sort of Stargate, which they call the Fargate, which I just presumed was a combination of Farscape and Stargate, and they just put it together. But it's basically just a big portal, and they Genius. go through it, and they're back in the Age of Apocalypse. But this is the Age of Apocalypse before all the other issues. Because mm-hmm. I guess Apocalypse has only just got here because they know of him, but well, no, maybe not because Apocalypse arrived in the first one and Magneto already knows who he is. Whatever. Yeah, it's hard for me because like I remember the general story of Age of Apocalypse, but I don't remember which issues have like I don't know if mm. I say too much and I'm kind of like spoiling upcoming issues, but there there is. I guess like a, an event that triggers this kind of um, new reality that they live in that happens, say, like 10 years before, I guess, Apocalypse kind of right. takes over right. the stuff. Yeah. yeah, And we know it's a prequel because Forge looks absolutely awful. He hasn't got a robot eye. <laughs> and I thought he was Charles Xavier on the cover because he has a yellow like wheelchair, which reminded me of the X-Men cartoon. But no... That's not... It's just yeah. a, di- a different yellow wheelchair. This one's got guns on it, and it's Forge. And he has some sort of, like, skin cap thing. No, not 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 for that. Bring back the half-robot <laughs> face. So, I've got another point. It would help if Apocalypse ever showed up in these stories, because then I would understand how Sugar Man relates to Apocalypse in any way. Yeah. Then there's a big fight, because they stop... Morph is in it again because he has been undercover with uh, Sugar Man who has been making this even worse virus than the one they already had. But then they mm-hmm. take him out and Magneto is there. Forge's plan is to send Nate Summers back to Good Earth and Magneto is not happy with this because Nate Summers, who has all the powers would be strong enough to protect them from Apocalypse. But, whatever. Forge is like, no, we're doing it my way. So, then Forge pretends to die by getting... 
Oh, who do they? They go and save somebody from from uh, Sugar Man. That's not Morph. Someone that can make projections. I can't even remember. And they pretend to kill Forge so that Nate Summers would use his powers to turn this gate on so he could go back to uh, Happy Earth, which he then does. So then my comment was, well, what was the point of that? He leaves, he leaves <laughs> Main Earth, him and Sugar Man at the beginning, and then at the end, everybody is back where they started. I'm going to presume that because they dedicated two issues to Nathan Summers, that is slightly more important later on, and this is just laying groundwork. Otherwise, that was a bit of a waste of time. But was what, he, he but what was a waste of time was Blink issues one to four, because <laughs> they have almost nothing to do with Age Apocalypse in any way at all. So at the beginning, the Blink goes off or the mission with Rogue and Morph, because of course Morph is there, they go to Dallas to fight some robots or whatever. And then Blink goes off on her own and goes to some sort of place and Buck Beast is there because Hank McCoy in this reality is bad. What's interesting is that in the earlier issues, Hank McCoy is grey, but now he is blue. So, whatever. I guess the memo didn't get across in the like six years between these two stories, what he actually looked like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why not? And then suddenly there's aliens in it, because because of course there is. Some alien came to Earth and wanted to speak to Apocalypse, and then Apocalypse basically had him captured and tortured so that the Dark Beast could make some, some slaves out of it. Magneto kicks Blink off the team because she can't follow any <laughs> orders, and I that seems like more mistakes on his part because there's about six X-Men and he's always complaining about how they lose but he's like nah Blink we used you to get to the moon but clearly you're useless to us get off the team you can't follow orders that's much worse and she decides to go after Apocalypse herself so she goes to Apocalypse's castle or whatever and then some creatures from the negative zone are there because if this crossover wasn't spinning enough plates already it, why not add some more and she gets stuck in the negative right. zone oh no and that's the end of blink number one in blink number two she's in the negative zone they mentioned the fantastic four great annihilus was what's the king here but he's gone missing and now some guy that looks a bit like a bear he's out of the negative zone and <sighs> Blink is falling in love with some rebel guy called Armior. And my only comment was that the <laughs> art here by Trevor McCarthy always makes Blink look like she's smiling, even when she's like being attacked or attacking somebody. So I'm sort of mm. concerned that maybe Blink is now a bit of a psychopath growing up in this Age of Apocalypse reality. But she's in the negative zone, freeing some rebels from these bear people. And then that's really it for two more issues we get a recap i understand that you know always like well any new reader could jump on at any comic but who is buying like blink number three of four for the first time because the first couple of pages are always a recap of what's happened before it's like, oh, i know that i know you get in trade form here and so i'm just turning pages but no one is buying 
Because it says on it, three of four. You'd buy one of four, maybe two of four at a push. Yeah. I, I think part of that, too, is, like, the art form of comic books has been elevated so much that it's, like, a basic tenet of writing, like, showing, not telling, was something that was not really into consideration before. They were like, we have to tell you, absolutely. Like, the exposition in a comic book, especially, like, one from the 90s, is I have to tell you every single fact that has happened over the last 25 well, years. Well, we then find out that makes sense. Amor is actually a nihilist. A twist out of nowhere that makes no sense at all somehow mm-hmm. he regressed <laughs> as a person and then turned into a looked just in this regression looked totally different but whatever the bear guy knows this tells blink and they both get thrown in prison and Annihilus there now we'll call him that is pouring his heart out to blink and Blink's just like, I don't care. I can't trust you anymore. And he's like, oh, I didn't know I was a Nihilus. I had no memories. Which he would have thought that she'd be sympathetic to. Because when upon arrival <laughs> in the negative zone, she too had no memories. But she's having none of it. And so a Nihilus then gets taken off to be strapped right. to some big gun. As some no. sort of like key to make the gun work. And then the bear guy shows up. And he's like, oh, he was telling the truth. And then suddenly Blink is like, well, I must believe him now then. <laughs> because, because this king guy told me. She escapes. They, she <laughs> frees Annihilus. The gun goes off. Kills all the bear people. The end. Again, what was the point of that? Unless Annihilus shows up at any point, that was the entire waste of yeah. four issues. It looked quite nice for a 90s book, sure. People... yeah. Blink's costume is revealing, but she's doing all these flips and it should be a lot more revealing. Somehow, this sort of bit of fabric she wears around her mm-hmm. waist covers everything up at all times, even when she's upside down. And that is the end of Age yeah. of Apocalypse, the complete epic volume one. And I thought it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It's interesting, though, because as you're reading this, I'm thinking... Um... I think it's a bit of a mistake how it's collected. Uh, I don't know if you've looked too much into how this was happening at the time, but it kind of just right. took books that people were reading and then rebranded them for the, the next months or so. And so a lot of what you're reading yeah. is, I guess, chronologically in the universe almost, but not like in order of how it was published. And so it's like, for example, I think they're trying to fill in some of the gaps of like, Oh, later on, you you find out that these two things are happening. So let me just explain it to you right now how that came to be. But it's like so much detail before you're really able to get into the meat of the story that it's almost like pushing you back out, right? Like I I, I think Age of Apocalypse has not mm. aged perfectly, but there is like a good core story there. But it's like so far you haven't even started the main story like i i don't know if you if you realize that but it's like age of apocalypse ha- right. happened with an event and then they kind of have an idea of how to solve it and then it, so on right but it's like you haven't even started with the how like how to solve it and you've read like already like 10 issues or something and it's just mostly just filling in all these details and so that's a choice, I guess. Um, it seems more like if you read Age of Apocalypse and loved it, then these collections will help you fill in absolutely every minor detail. It doesn't seem like the cleanest way to jump into Age of Apocalypse yeah. if you haven't. It just seems to lead to a lot of, why is this happening? Why are you telling me this? Yeah. 
and then the cover has got Jubilee on it. She's not even in it. Yeah. She, I, 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 she will be. She's part of, I think, uh, Gambit's book. But it's like, again, you've read 10 issues and you haven't even seen what Gambit's book is really about. Apocalypse is in one panel. One panel in the first book. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> He's not in it. He's mentioned all the time. People, as if they really want to bring it home that this is the age of Apocalypse. They say it mm-hmm. all the time. Just constantly. It's like, oh, yeah. this is the age of Apocalypse. Like, yeah, I know. It's on the cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from a marketing background, good for branding, right? Like, they, they did a good job with well, their branding. If you're already reading it, surely you know it's the Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it was fine. I mean, I'm interested to see yeah. where it goes. I'll read the rest, primarily because I own them already. Yeah. But... I, I, I do think, like, I, I think the, that first entry point felt rough listening you describe them and all the questions that you have. I think you're going to get a lot more answers. And they're also going to be a lot more, at some point, you're going to see what the purpose of each book is. Like, what their quest is in this Age of Apocalypse. So, hopefully, when that happens, um, it'll feel a lot more comfortable. I mean, that is, there's three more volumes left. It's just, I know how much can there possibly be? <laughs> the age of apocalypse was a long one right well that's me done take me on a journey that's not about a big mutant with an a on his face that's fair so i decided to do the revisit to age of apocalypse no, i'm joking i did not <laughs> um I, I i know this is kind of i guess my first time jumping on on this podcast and so i thought about like what i like to read i'm a big fan of daredevil and so what i decided to do is kind of uh take on the brian michael Ooh. bendis run of daredevil have you ever had the chance of not. reading that i can't say i've read it's this any critically acclaimed actually. I know, like I've seen, I've oh, seen you're the, in... I know who Daredevil is. Like I've, Daredevil has appeared yes. in other stories that I have read, but I have not. I think my, I when I think of Daredevil these days, it's the Charlie Cox Daredevil. <laughs> I don't know if that's better or yeah. a good thing or not. I mean, considering it could be the Ben Affleck Daredevil, <laughs> I think it's better than that. At least, I mean, I can't complain about that. But I love Daredevil. I love the comic books. I always have. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, my dad has different names for them. Uh, in Spanish, he's called Diabolico, which is like devilish, I guess, like almost like an adjective. But uh, he loved Daredevil. I love Daredevil. So I decided to to kind of revisit that Brian Michael Bendis run, which is, I guess, uh, in fairness, one of the critically acclaimed runs that they have in Daredevil. Like, I, I don't know that it's up to the Frank Miller kind of love that that's out there, but it's a good run. And so I... Um, I wanted to revisit it. It's very curious, though, because it's like I'm revisiting the Bendis run of Daredevil, but it doesn't start with Bendis at all. He has, like, no involvement of what I consider the beginning of his run. So uh, to understand that, I guess you kind of have to have some knowledge of what the landscape of Marvel comic books was at the time. Um, this is kind of like the late 90s, and so the it's re- everything is really crashing down for <laughs> Marvel comics. Like, they're their big gamble on like people are going to want to collect this comic book. So let's do like 18 variants and so on has really uh, bursted a bubble there. Like some of the people that were in charge of the board members that were involving with toy companies. So there's a lot of complications there, but basically it's not a good time for Marvel and what they decide to do in the late nineties is to get some, some excitement into some of their brands is basically almost like leasing out their properties like they did for the studios but they they hire like external publishers to run what they call their marvel knights 
print, which is like a little bit, it's set in their, their regular 616 universe, it's just a little bit darker. Some of the original ones end up being like Black Panther, Punisher, Inhumans, and then Daredevil. Um, they, they, who they end up doing this with is Event Comics, which was the independent comic book publisher that was owned by Jimmy Palmiotti, which is an inker, and Joe Quesada, who would then become, at some point later on, yeah. like the editor-in-chief, like the big guy at Marvel Comics, right? Uh, there's some other great runs in this Marvel Knight stuff, if you're listening to this and you're curious. Like, there's a Christopher Priest Black Panther run, which is great. The Garth Ennis Punisher run is also from the same Marvel Knights imprint. It's kind of where it started here. Anyways, back to Daredevil. What they did to launch the Daredevil stuff is they reached out to uh, Kevin Smith, director Kevin Smith. I don't know if you're deep. familiar with his work. Clerks. Yeah, some of the other stuff. They reached out to him. He's a big, uh, he, I guess he's not big Hollywood, but he's a Hollywood director of some fame, and he's a big comic book fan. And so he handles the first volume of this Marvel Knights relaunch. The art is mostly handled by Joe mm-hmm. Quesada himself, who was, I guess, uh, a big name relatively at the time. And, uh, I mean, not Hollywood big, but big enough. He's a big deal, especially considering the position that he ends up having at Marvel Comics. The first volume is called Guardian Devil. Uh, it has an intro by Joe Quesada in the collected version that I have, and then it also has a foreword, an additional foreword by actor Ben <laughs> Affleck, who went to play Daredevil in the 2003 film, and is also, through uh, some of Kevin Smith's movies, a good friend of Kevin Smith. So anyways, uh, like I mentioned, the first volume is written by Kevin Smith, the pencils are handled by Joe Quesada, uh, it's inked by Jimmy Palmiotti, the two people from Event Comics, the colorists are Avalon's Dan Kemp, Laura Depay, Drew Yaki, Richard Isanove. The letters are credited as RS and Comic Crafts Liz Agrafiotis yeah. and Dave Lanfear. Um, the Guardian Devil is, like I mentioned, is basically a relaunch of the character. So it's a very good starting point in some ways. It offers you some like quick introduction into the world of Daredevil. Like right off the bat, the first page is three <laughs> panels of like religious imagery is one panel. Then Hell's Kitchen yeah. is the other panel, and then a courthouse is the third panel. Yeah, that's and that's sweet. kind of like who Daredevil is, right? So it's a good starting point in that way. Uh, it introduces some, it does require some previous knowledge, like the first issue of The Guardian Devil to set up this new normal that they're doing. It breaks up the relationship of Karen Page and Matt Murdock, who were dating previously, like, um, issue i think of 380 of volume one is where volume one ends and then kind of next month this starts and so it just to kind of tie those loose ends it it breaks them up with like this love letter where she i think she had been a talk show host before and got herself involved in almost like um she was accused of murder then matt murdoch had to help her so it kind of ties up some of that like in the letter you're you're reading she's saying how like during this trial some of the stuff came up and you've never really looked at me the same way, so I'm going to take this offer that I have on the table to be, like, a talk show host and in L.A., I think, and, you know, this is it. No. So Matt Murdock, heartbroken, distracted, he ends up, um, he's wandering, I guess, is he wandering the streets? He's, he, I think he's, he's in, in, like, a bar or something, and then he hears, like, these distinct heartbeats, and it is of this, like, young girl who has just escaped from a hospital, baby in hand, carrying her uh, this baby and just running away getting chased by people so he goes tries to help her does the good daredevil thing and um she disappears this this girl and the main crux of the story is that this girl eventually finds him and tells him that this baby 
was conceived immaculately and and uh it's jesus exactly and so it's like a lot of that religious stuff right and so she reaches out and somebody else comes and visits daredevil and matt murdoch and says this baby is actually the antichrist and it's like too hard of too hard of a of a sign to be raised by a a devil because they both happen to know that matt murdoch is daredevil which is supposed to be a secret at the time and so it kind of sets up these two i guess opposing forces of what matt murdoch believes um, the man that says it is an antichrist leaves him with a warning that his life is going to get worse and worse and worse and kind of leaves him across to protect him. Um, Matt Murdock's life does get worse as this baby is involved. His partner, Foggy, who you may know from the Netflix show, ends up uh, involving himself with a married woman whose divorce case he was going to handle. But that ends up in like oh, murder God. and uh, he goes to jail. And then Karen Page returns to his life and reveals that she has AIDS, which is like just a crazy Goodness comic me. book twist that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. And so it's like, this is, I guess, one point where I was mentioning earlier that it's like the treatment of women in this is a bit jarring. It's like Black Widow shows up for a panel when uh, for, for a segment when he has the baby. Daredevil hands her the baby and go does some investigating when he could have just as easily asked Black Arguably Widow to do the investigating a better instead of making her than Black Widow, uh, Daredevil himself. One would think the the spy would be do a good job, but she he leaves the spy as a babysitter and then she's like, "Oh, something about this baby has like my biological clock ticking." Oh. Not great. Um, Karen Page, like I said, is an established character from three hundred issues of Daredevil, and she's just like. Re, like rewritten to be a, a victim of these horrible circumstances, so it's tough. Um, eventually, you find out that Daredevil is being set up by Quentin Beck, mm. by Mysterio, the Spider-Man villain. He has, choice. yeah, he is encountering the like the end of his life through some of the materials that he's been using, and so as like one final act. He stages this entire production to bring down Daredevil. And the reason why the Spider-Man villain wants to bring down Daredevil is also absolutely out of left field. At the time in the 90s, there was a lot of this uh, Spider-Man clone situations happening where the Spider-Man was not Peter Parker or so on. And so he's like, because I can't ruin Peter Parker's life, I've come to you, who I fought once (laughs) as like an Avenger. And you struck me as somebody... It's bizarre. It doesn't make the most sense. I think the reality is that... Um, Kevin Smith is a director and he likes that Quentin Beck is like a special effects movie industry person and it was like I can tell a great story with this and so uh, throughout the, this kind of plot that Mysterio is doing at some point he hires Bullseye um, to an actual daredevil bring, villain <laughs> bring the baby to him yeah and then in this fight Bullseye grabs um, daredevil's baton and throws it and Karen Page kind of uh, puts herself in front of Daredevil and gets it encrusted into her. And so that wraps up Karen Page. And like I said, not great treatment of women. I think it's like very questionable. I don't know if you've caught your, your, your um, you know, the concept of like women, women in fridges, I think is what they called it. It was like this movement largely started or largely grown by Gail Simone, the Wonder mm-hmm. Woman, right? And it was mostly about like how, often in comic books, like, women are killed off or, like, 
and it's called in fridges because I believe Green Lantern, like the Kyle Radner one, like the younger one, his girlfriend gets killed and put into a fridge so that when he comes home, like he sees it and it's like the inciting incident to go fight the villain. Anyways, like it's it's a lot of that. So it's like it hasn't aged great, but I think it's like uh, an important start because it reintroduces a lot of what you will see on or like the recurring characters of the Bendis run, which is like Black Widow, you know, Daredevil, Foggy, and their new situations. Um, it, Karen Page ends up dying, sadly, mm-hmm. and then sh- she had, like, a life insurance from the good job she went in LA to take, and so she leaves him a lot of, Daredevil, a lot of money, which, again, comes into play as they start setting up their own, um, I guess, like, attorney's office in, in New York for the Bendis run. So I think it's, like, important to read. Um, I don't know that it's, like, my favorite issues ever. The art is... I like Daredevil art that is very realistic there. Daredevil is, I guess, kind of part of, like, these street-level heroes that Marvel has. Like, Moon Knight. I think you mentioned before that you like Moon Knight, right? And, yeah, so it's, like, Shang-Chi and, like, Iron Fist and Misty, Colleen, like, all these ones. So I, I like when the art looks very realistic when I read books about them. And I would say Joe Quesada is very similar to... Have you ever read uh, Ultimate Spider-Man? No, but I have uh, borrowed when Quesada came back to do Spider-Man for the... Uh, mm-hmm. What was it? One More Day, whatever it was, where he, where he uh, sells his soul to the devil or whatever. That's my Quesada art experience. But I can't... I would say I would look negatively upon it, but I don't know whether that's just a reflection of the story it was being drawn. That's true. And I would say perhaps that that art that you're looking in one more day is almost like more elevated than the one that I see in Daredevil. It feels really rushed, but it's not like entirely unserviceable. I would say my biggest issue is mostly the coloring in that it's like very uh, glossy and bright. And again, it's like it's not just my personal Daredevil. preference. I, when I read... Bright is not a word I exactly. would describe for Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, so... Absolutely. And it's like, I love seeing him in the shadows, mostly covered up, like very unsaturated coloring, I would say. And that's not really what we're getting here. But uh, I think like the the Bendis, the Bendis Foundation is worth the investment of reading these two kind of before that you need to get to before you really start with Bendis. The second volume is written by artist uh, David Mack. You may know him from his artwork for the Netflix Jessica oh. Jones series. Oh, I've seen I don't, that. They, ha- they made some cool posters where it's like it's kind of just her face and like a lot of paint yeah. in the background. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's him. Um, he does some of the interiors in- inside, but he mostly handles the writing for this okay. volume. The art is mostly handled by Joe Quesada with some additional pages by David Ross in this volume. Inks, again, are done by Jimmy Palmiotti and some extra work by Mark Morales. Lettering is done by Richard Isanove. Uh, this book introduces the character of Echo. No, Are you familiar I'm with not. Echo? Later on, I, I think where most people may know her is uh, at some point they relaunched the Avengers. Bendis relaunched the Avengers. And um, he started off teasing an image. And it was basically like Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, Wolverine, some ninja-looking person, and I think Sentry, which kind of mm. looks like Superman. And most people were like, oh, that ninja-looking person is Daredevil. 
and it was Daredevil, but it was supposed to be like more of a mystery that he was going to reveal later was Daredevil, and everybody just guessed it straight up. So eventually they revealed it was Echo, and Echo is again this character that's introduced in the second volume before Bendis really started his work. She is uh, deaf as opposed to Daredevil right. being blind, in case you're not familiar with Matt Murdock. She is kind of raised by Kingpin, which is Daredevil's main, I guess, antagonist, I would say. Uh, the daughter of a business partner, Crazy Horse. Her dad ends up dying and Kingpin raises raises her and at some point reveals to her that Daredevil yeah, killed her father with like this golden gun. Um, she starts falling after meeting for Matt Murdock. She starts falling for him and kind of develops this love relationship or I guess flirtatious relationship as she also wants to kill Daredevil so it's kind of things meeting head to head um, I think it's important because there is this part of Daredevil that is often not shown perhaps in the series or like people that are like he I think most people know that he's a lawyer and that he's blind another I would say and that he's Catholic but another one of these things that that is, I guess, core to the character is that he's a bit of a like a ladies' <laughs> man, like a you know James Bond kind of flirt. Like he That's sleeps true. with a bunch of women, and and I think Bendis does a good job of exploring that. But like these first two volumes do a good job of like reintroducing who the Bendis Daredevil right, is right. going to be, and so that's why I chose to read them. Big fan. I mean, if you haven't had the chance to read them, I think you should. Yeah, for sure. Like oh. I feel like I can use you to write down what I should read in the future. <laughs> I've got on my Amazon wish list, Man Without Fear is there to, for me to one day buy and read. Mm-hmm. But I'll put this alongside. I mean, Born Again, like Man Without Fear, these are like some classic Daredevil titles. And I think if you... I, I do think though the Bendis like run is a good place to start because if you that's where I started um I would I, like I mentioned earlier when I moved to Canada and I started buying my own comic books like the ones that were on the rack were the Decalogue uh, issues that he does later on which I think is like volume eight of his run but those were like the ones currently on the rack so that's where I started reading and then I was like oh this is great let me let me check out some other issues and so I went back and got that and then when I really got into the Daredevil characters when I went even further back and started reading like the Frank Miller stuff and like all those iconic scenes with like Daredevil and Bullseye and Elektra. Am I talking about how they, you know, reveal characters? They've been, I don't know why they bother. Like they've been doing it recently with the Guardians. There's like three new teams and they've been slowly filling in. It's like, oh, that's Star-Lord there. Oh, that's a Super Scroll. What a surprise. Yeah. Admittedly, there were some twists. Doctor Doom is on one of the teams. People didn't guess that. But I mean, ninety percent of them is like, oh, that's just that's Doctor Strange. Oh, okay, yeah, it was. I feel like I don't know. Yeah, it seems like the sort of thing designed for people and, that don't read comics. But then if you don't read comics, you're not gonna. What's the point? You're not gonna be like, oh, that's Doctor Doom. Who's that? Hmm. Oh, he's a villain for the Fantastic Four. Yeah. I I do think though that this Daredevil run for Bendis is like very. Like, I don't know that you have to be a Marvel fan to enjoy it, but if you are a fan of Marvel comic books, it's, like, a key moment in the Marvel comic book history because 
what they were doing was kind of like one volume per writer and then moving on. And so the first one was written mm-hmm. by Kevin Smith, like I mentioned. The second one was written by David Mack. The third one, which comes next, was written by Bendis. And then the fourth one was written by the Back to the Future writer, Bob Gale. Again, they were kind of, I guess, looking to boost their profile by bringing some of these Hollywood people in. But then after that, they decided, because the the previous Bendis volume was strong, I think, they decided, you know what, let's just go with Bendis, and it kind of became like an ongoing. So he had like a long form of storytelling in which each volume was dealing with something, but there was like an overarching picture that he was uh, building up to. And I think being more involved with the Marvel Universe has changed the Marvel Universe in the sense, like for better or for worse, you can choose what how your mileage has been. But like he started, he restarted these big like House of M type of events that kind of disrupt comic books every summer now. And his storytelling was followed by a string of like high profile comic book writers. Like after he was done, Ed Brubaker did like also like another forty issue or so run. Then Andy Diggle did a run. Like it's been just uh, Charles Sewell. Like the like it's been a lot of high profile writers. And I think it all kind of started with these changes that Brian Michael yeah, Bendis brought upon Daredevil. So it's a good, it's a just, historically, it's a good place there, to start. He would I have think. gone on to take over the entirety of Marvel publishing. I think he was writing every book they put out. Yeah. Like, after Daredevil, he just started doing, like, the new Avengers things, and he brought some of that stuff over. Like I said, he brought, like, his initial intention was to bring in Daredevil, and the, like, he was in a ninja suit because of something that had happened in in his run of Daredevil, but then people guessed that they were like, oh, that's Daredevil, and so he had to, like, rewrite it into being Echo and not rely so much on that character, but it, it's interesting. It's interesting to see all these ideas kind of where they started. I feel like... Maybe that's how Age of Apocalypse Volume 1 should be. <laughs> Interesting how these ideas start, rather than just let me just vomit all these ideas into a book and be like, here you go, read them. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I do think that like the, the, the art of storytelling in comic books has evolved exponentially since Age of Apocalypse, right? Like, we've gotten so much better at critically reviewing comic books as an art form that it just has elevated the conversation. I... I think some of that stuff has dated fairly yeah, I think uh, essentially terribly. Reading this, this is back in the day when everybody has a thought bubble. Everybody's thinking everything. And there's like narration boxes everywhere. Yeah. Like Snyder's Batman falls into that trap of having narration boxes a lot. But the narration boxes are different colours, so you know who's thinking them. Whereas here, it's just this one is green. Oh, then here's Magneto's yeah. thought bubble, which he's thinking something which he should probably be saying, to be honest, to the other X Men, yeah. but whatever, that doesn't matter. Half of them are mind readers anyway, by the looks of it. I mean, I guess we do have to credit a little bit of the like them getting rid getting rid of that to the internet, right? It's now a resource that anyone can go on and, and like if you want to find out who these characters are, true. you can just Google it instead of the 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 writer having to fit in like a whole conversation about why this person is here. So I guess some of that is just a, a product of the no, time. No, I did still find myself doing a bit of Googling here, but I suppose it was for like the people who didn't really matter. Like the second death is like, is that an inhuman? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. That's all I really needed to know. I mean, I probably could have figured that out just from going, well, yeah. he's on the moon with these other inhumans. I mean, it would, it would have made more of a twist mm-hmm. if the answer was no, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, God, 
And so this is the thing where like, oh, well, Gambit's now gone off, so I must go and buy, what is it, Gambit and the Externals. Yeah, Gambit and the Externals. But it's like, again, it's like that first issue is not super revealing of what the, the mandate of the book is going to be. And I think there's like a clear mandate later on, at least from what I remember. Like, again, it's like I'm a little removed from when I first read this. So like the <laughs> maybe I've kind of erased the superfluous details and only left the core mandate. But at least like I know what they end up doing in that book. And you have not described it in the least. So it's like a hard sell for people that want like have to invest three more volumes of Age of Apocalypse if that first one is not going to catch you with the hook immediately. I feel like it could do with like a page, just like, here's what's happened, gonna happen next, yeah. rather than just here's some alternate covers. It's like, oh yeah, great. And just yeah. the X Men being beaten up in various different locations. I I think I have I I don't know if you ever had the chance to do you, I don't know if you know the writer Mike Carey. He had no. a, he's a British writer, I think, and he had a bit of a, a, a tenure on running the X-Men stuff. He did some good X-Men stuff, but he did at some point do a very similar uh, concept to Age of Apocalypse. It was Age of X. I will say that story has is a lot shorter. It has aged, I think, better, and the designs of the characters are a lot cooler than the Age of Apocalypse. So if you like Age of Apocalypse and think, hey, I loved it, this was a little bit tighter and better, then I think Age of X is a good place to continue. Character design is definitely... Some of them I can get behind. I said Cyclops yeah. with long hair, one eye, cool. But it's as if they haven't quite... Obviously, comics are 2D, but they're drawn in like a 3D space. And they haven't quite figured out what people look like when they turn around. Mr. Sinister is a big one for this, I noticed in that issue. He looks, okay, like a slightly too jacked human being. But as soon as he is side on, his arm is like half a panel. And it's like, well, that's a big arm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like even art has evolved. Like the color too, it kind of looks a little bit washed out, I would say, in Age of Apocalypse. Whereas like colors now are so like I, I think of the Marvel book Civil War, like the one that inspired the, hmm. the movie. And the coloring in that book is just, like, A+. I mean, the art is great, too, but the coloring is really what lifts it to, like, a whole other level. I own it. I, was like, I keep thinking, do I go back and read it? But it is long. I do know what happens already. Yeah. So I feel like Civil War is the story that lets it down there, especially a few issues in, when they're like, oh, is Iron Man... You know, you're like, oh, they're both heroes in their own way. And you're like, no, no, they're not. Yeah. One of I, them is clearly in the wrong. Although I would say that it's like somehow age, that argument has aged better in that like two sides can think they're right when one side is clearly wrong is something that somehow seems more relevant mm -hmm. today. But I also agree. I was like, it's, hard, it's a hard argument to make for the Iron Man side. He's like, oh, we've made a Thor robot. Oh, we killed somebody. <laughs> oh, well, I, I still think I'm right. <laughs> I, I mean, I will say, though, Mark Millar, Mark Millar writes like he knows his stuff is going to be a movie. And, like, there's some of those moments in the, like, when the Thor robot kills Goliath and then, like, Sue Storm just, like, puts her shield up to protect all the, the rebels. And they're, like, looking at Reed Richards like, you moron. I, great, great stuff. Maybe one day. Once I've, once I've finished <laughs> Age of Apocalypse in three months' time. Yeah. Oof. Right, well, do you have any more to say on Daredevil, the man without fear? 
I hope that that you know. I hope that you check it out. I hope that people listening check it out. I'm a big uh, advocate for Daredevil. I think some people may sour on it because their first uh, exposure to it may be Ben Affleck acting a fool <laughs> with Jennifer Gardner on some uh, swing sets or whatever. And I don't think that's really true to who the character is. I think Charlie Cox got a lot closer. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think any Netflix show was perfect in the sense that they had some pacing issues. Yes. But I think like the the core of who he is was a lot closer in in that series than than in the Dare, than the Ben Affleck one, and the comic book one. The comic book Daredevil is just like miles above. It's a high quality character. Definitely recommend. Are you a red suit, yellow suit, or black suit Daredevil fan? A red suit, I think for sure. Like I've even put on my Daredevil colored <laughs> hoodie today to to record this. But I I have a soft spot for the yellow in the sense like I like when he has like flashbacks or something and he's wearing that. Like I, but I wouldn't want him to wear it again. I'm very happy that it's kind of gone. Um, the black suit, I mean, it works sometimes. I I think especially after the first season of Netflix, they tried to work in kind of like him covering his eyes more with like a. I don't know what it was, just basically a towel, I think, is what he put on his head. But I I, I think they all have their place. Um, I have sour thoughts on, on the black costume because there is one particular uh, story of Daredevil that comes a little bit later on that I'm not too huge a fan of, and he wears a lot of black in that one, so that's kind of what I think of when I think of a black Daredevil. But the red stuff, you can't go wrong with the, the red stuff. Go with the classics. Yeah. Well, there you go. That is... PhD student reads episode 12 definitely the best one yet also the longest one but that's probably a good thing more cover it's not just me droning on about age of apocalypse imagine if this was just no one would be able to answer my questions I would just be yelling into the <laughs> void why is this happening why do people look like this but well there we go I mean I don't know that I answered all your questions either but there are some questions that just that can't really be true. answered I'm sure in the next three months of my life those questions will be answered <laughs> And maybe more will be formed, most likely. That is that will be the case. Follow the show on Twitter, at PhD Reads. Three people follow, so you could be out there, could be the fourth person. How special would that How would you feel being one of the first five people? Uh, I mean, I would love to be no, five more than four, true. though. Well, two people out there. <laughs> I mean, I know more than two people listen to this, so... Someone, someone follow the show on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, what else have I got to say? I chopped off the bottom of my Google Doc and now I cannot get it back. Um, yeah, follow the show on Twitter. Uh, do you have any social media links you want to pimp out? Sure. If you want to hear my dumb opinions on comic books and other things, you can follow me on social media at rcockting, R-C-O-K-T-I-N-G. Oh, also, if you want to follow some movie content, I started a magazine called Layered Butter with my friends. You can find us on social media at Layered Butter. Comics and movies. What more could you possibly want in your podcast listening life? Maybe some some news. But news to get you down, comics and movies to pick you back up at a later date for sure um thank you for joining me for this one hour and 20 minute wild ride into 90s was, marvel comics. it was an absolute joy it was my pleasure for having right me. and to all of you out there goodbye bye, bye.